Hi. My name is Peter. What's your name? That's comforting. Good to see you. Thank you for coming. I'm not the real pastor. I'm not even the real preacher. Which will become probably evident as time goes on. Nice to see you. You're all in the darkness to me. But nice to be here. Pastor is, uh, he's away. He's not here. Gone. That's what you think. So did you hear about that poor lady who lost her job in the orange juice factory? By the way, if you're probably 25 or under, you might not get this joke. Poor lady lost her job in the orange juice factory because she couldn't concentrate. <laughs> yeah, I just saw some younger people go, what? <laughs> juice used to come in concentrated form and used to add water to it. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Hear about that poor man who lost his job at the bank? A lady came in and said, could you check my balance? So he pushed her over. <laughs> so, um, I have a prophetic word for the church right now. In a second, I'm going to give that, but... Uh, do want you to continue to support your pastors and your leadership team. I want you to pray for them. And I uh, want you to stand behind them. Reading recently in Zechariah where God says, when you strike the shepherd, what happens to the sheep? They scatter. And the enemy would love to strike the shepherd. Loves to strike the shepherd. He loves it when preachers fail, fall get discouraged, frustrated, homicidal. But we as a people want to stand behind our leaders and pray for them, want to cooperate with them. Stay in fellowship. Don't always be running away, going somewhere else because you don't like what's going on. Don't like the guest speakers. Why couldn't they have got somebody tall? <laughs> Skinny. So, I'm not condemning you this morning. I'm not condemning you. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's not condemning you. The enemy condemns, Holy Spirit convicts, and he always convicts for the purpose. The purpose is to make you better. Condemnation just brings you down. Spirit God would say to his community worship center today that he's on the cusp of doing something even greater than has already been done here in this body. Spirit God would say to this, this body that he desires to move in an unprecedented way and that he desires to move in such a way as that this, this, this facility and this amount of services would not be able to contain the people whom the Holy Spirit will reach through your ministry. Spirit God would say to this people that 
that there is, there is coming a wave of his presence, unparalleled in your experience in the past. And it's time for the body of Christ to embrace and welcome him and say, come Holy Spirit, come. We welcome you to come. And so I encourage you today with what I believe the Spirit of God is saying in an even greater and greater way. How many would receive the word of the Lord this morning? How many would receive the Lord of the Lord? Father, we just receive that word today. Lord, that you're coming. You're, mm, yeah, uh, you're coming. You're coming. A mighty wave of the Spirit of God is coming. And Lord, we, let us be beneficiaries and receptacles of that in the mighty name of Jesus. Mm. Mm. In the mighty name of Jesus. absolute terror and fear. 12-year-old Kurt Anderson came running into the camp from being up a little higher in the mountains. He came running into the camp. They could hear him screaming from a long way off. Not sure, each parent not being exactly sure which child it was, but they all began to look, and finally, he came into view, and he was screaming and crying. And he discovered in the crowd his own father. And he ran into the arms of his own father. His father not even realized what was going on. He was screaming inaudibly. Nobody could understand what he was saying. And he embraced his father, and he sobbed. The familiar smell of his father on the old sweatshirt his father was wearing. And he, and he, and he embraced him and he sobbed. Because just a few minutes before, he and his buddy were running and playing. His 13-year-old buddy were running and playing. And they had rifles and they were real. and He thought the safety was on. He didn't have it pointed at him. He just running behind him, and he tripped. And he saw his buddy go down. And as he raced to him, he began to become frantic because he saw blood coming out of his mouth. And within a couple of hours, he and his parents were going down the mountain in a car. And the trajectory of his life changed forever at 12 years old because he ran without the safety on. And he killed his body. And today I want to talk to you about running without your safety on. You see, if there ever was a man who was without the safety on, it was Samson. Not like, unlike you and I, there was an anointing and a destiny over his life. But he ran without his safety on. He was appointed by God to be raised in a special way. The way of a Nazarite, meaning he would be set aside for God's purposes, his life would be lived differently than all the other kids in the neighborhood. 
He would not live a life according to the ways of the world. He had a destiny that was designed to make him an effective deliverer of Israel. He was supposed to deliver Israel, all of Israel, from from their oppressors. And the scripture says in Judges 13 and 5, set apart to God from birth. He was set apart from God, apart to God from birth. He will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hand of the Philistines. The scripture goes on to say a few verses later in chapter 13 of Judges that he grew and the Lord blessed him. It says many times through the various chapters in the book of Judges which describes Samson's life that the Spirit of God came upon him with power. He was able to do things that no one else can do. His life was an incredible picture of the supernatural anointing of God. But Samson, as he grew and grew and more and more used to, listen to me, he grew used to the presence of God. May we never grow used to his presence. May, it always, may we always stand in awe of God's presence. May we always not just come in here on Sunday morning and in the presence of God and just go, oh, ho-hum, we're in the presence of God, big deal, let's go out, i got things to do. May we always be in awe of the presence of the living God. But he grew used to the presence of the living God. And he showed every indication that he wanted the benefits that the vows his parents had made for him. He wanted the benefits, that is the strength and the power and all the the incumbent things that go along with those privileges. But he did not want to pay the price of the disciplines of that vow. He had a self-will problem. He wanted to do what he wanted to do. He did not anchor his life in the things of God first and foremost. He didn't anchor himself. Can I tell you something? If church and serving Jesus and walking with Him is just something you do, and it's not who you are, then you're missing it. If it's just something you do, if it's just one little compartment, you see, sometimes I go and play golf, sometimes I go to work, sometimes I have family time, sometimes I I, I spend time with God. But listen to me, Jesus permeates everything. He is, it is God in my everything. Samson rejected the advice of godly people around him, especially his parents, he was disobedient to them. Unlike Moses, he chose to enjoy sin's pleasure rather than reject it in favor of God's blessing and God's anointing. You know something? Sin is pleasurable. I've done enough of it to know. It's pleasurable. But the scripture says of of Moses that he rejected sin's pleasure for a season. He had a problem with women. He had a lust issue. Every man in this room, unless for some reason God has done something for you that's rather remarkable, every man in this room has had a lust issue. He was was open to being manipulated and flattered. And he was. He was manipulated and flattered. And he was abused by that. He... He misused God's gifts. God gave him certain gifts and he misused them. And he he misused them for his own pleasure, his own advancement, his own aggrandizement. He he heaped the things things that God gave them. He used them for himself. 
Now, here's, here's the challenge this morning for, for some of you. You're looking at me and you're like, you're going, you're old. Listen, if you call me old, that's almost a compliment now. Because I feel like I'm beyond old. I'm looking back at old. And, and I know what it's like. I know what it's like. You see, when I, was, when I was young, right? When I was young, there was two types of people in the world. There was young people and there was old people. And I just happened to be a young people. I didn't realize that I was going to morph into an old people. Absolutely shocking to me. I remember the first time my wife and I went to bed after we became grandparents, and I'm thinking, I am sleeping with a grandmother. <laughs> and she was over there going... <laughs> And so the temptation is for you who are younger to say, well, that's just an old geezer talking about, you know, kind of the way things used to be and kind of condemning society and, you know, and, and, and you know, he doesn't understand and, you know, he, he's never going to be with the program. He's not with it. And the reason I know that is because that's what I did with my parents and people that were older than me. And, 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 and the real temptation for some of you is to, is to kind of say, well, that's just an old guy talking about the way things used to be, so therefore this really doesn't apply to me. But the story of Samson and the story of running without your safety on is absolutely important for everyone in this room, from the youngest to the oldest. You see, there is frequently a downfall problem when one spiritual pathologies come to a head, and Samson's spiritual pathologies came to a head with a sweet baby named Delilah. Delilah the prostitute, and he'd already been through one marriage, now he's with a prostitute. She manipulated and she exposed him to Israel's enemies to the extent that he lost all of his God-ordained and God-given power. And the sad finale comes when he's awakened by Delilah, listen to what it says. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. I'll shake myself free. I'll do what I always did. You see, I always was able to shake myself free, even though I live a compromised life, even though I live without the safety on, even though I did my own thing and I had a few problems. I know what I'll do. I'll get the anointing one more time. I'll shake myself free. But what happens? He didn't even know that the Lord had left him. He was willing to go through the motions and, and somehow just keep doing it and, and just keep believing that everything was fine. You know, the Internal Revenue Service reports that there are 350 to 400,000 churches in America. What's interesting, and the question I ask you is, how many of them are really churches? I know they have church in their name, except your church doesn't have church in its name. It, it's a center, it's not a church. CWCC, Community Worship Center Church. And they have church in their name. They have church in their documents. When people get up on Sunday morning or whenever they go, they say, I'm going to church. 
But what's interesting is according to Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3, Jesus, the owner of his church, he actually decertifies churches. Did you know that? He says, I'll take your candlestick. The candlestick representing the life that was in that church. He said, if you don't repent, I'm going to take the candlestick. You may call yourself a church. The IRS may call you a church. You may get a receipt at the end of the year for your, for your $18 that you gave uh, 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 throughout the whole year. You're gonna, you may get a receipt for that for, for, uh, and from what you call a church. You may say you're going to a church, but in the end, it ain't no church. Why? Because Jesus decertified it. People are acting like it's church. They're shaking themselves, thinking that the Spirit of God's all over. The Spirit of God's long gone, and they don't know that the Lord has left them. No, you're really glad I came. <laughs> Samson wished, one, one translation says it this way, he wished that the Spirit of God had not left him. If there ever was a man who was running without the safety on, it was Samson. Listen to what Hebrews 12 and 1 says. It says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us throw off everything, not some stuff. You see, I, I, you come to Jesus and you got alcohol and drug problem and this and this. You, yeah, those things are easy to throw off, but I'll keep my lust. I'll keep my greed. I'll keep my anger. I'll keep a few things. No, the, the, the writer of Hebrews says, let's throw off everything that hinders us and entangles us in a life of sin. And let us run with perseverance. The New Testament so many times compares running and the Christian life. And he says, let's run with perseverance. A race that's marked out for us. You know what? You can go, you can, listen, listen, the Olympics are happening in, 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 in Tokyo with no fans. But, but you know what? They, they could say to the guys, listen, we're going to have a race. So they all gather somewhere in a parking lot outside the Olympic Village. There's lots of room there, by the way. There's no cars, no, there's, no, there's, no, there's nobody watching. And the, the guy gets there with a starting pistol and he just fires it in the air. And run, runners are all going, well, where's the track? Where are we supposed to be running? The race is set out for you. Are you listening to me? The race is set out for you. I don't get to choose my own race. I don't get to say, you know what, I think I'll run in this direction. You guys can go in another one. The Lord has made it very clear that there's a race set out for us. I do it His way. I run on the track that he sets for me. To run the Jesus race successfully, it cannot be without a plan. It is thoughtful. It, it, it takes planned, purposeful perseverance. We choose to avoid hindrances that make the run unsuccessful and disastrous. Sin and the lack of personal protocols entangles, enslaves us, causes us to fall in the race. We are hindered and hung up on things that rob us. And here's the story. Listen to it and see it on the screen. Many are in danger in their Christ walk because they, the race they run is not typified by diligence and care. It is haphazard, undisciplined, and compromised. One of my children had a very high military clearance and they were always concerned about compromise. I don't know if, she's, if it's going to happen or not, but she's going into um, the FBI, we think. And 
They're always concerned about, could she be compromised? And they ask all kinds of questions. They came and asked me. They came and did an interview with me. I said, you do know I'm her father, right? Yeah, she's a scallywag. She's a rascal. They came and asked me, do you think she would, she would, she would break any of the, the classifications? Has she ever told you anything? Let me tell you, sweetheart, she's told me a few things, some things I don't repeat. I'm scared of that girl. And, and, and it's interesting to me, they're always concerned about her being compromised. Would the God that I was concerned about my life and compromise? Like a student in school, waiting and writing an exam, I have memories of this. I, I, I wasn't a good student. I, when I was, high school was the best seven years of my life. It, I just wasn't a good student. And, 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 and I, I, just, I, I would sit there in the exam room, and there would be, I, I would sit there, and I'd read the questions on the exam, and I'd go, I must be in the wrong room, because this, this is nothing. Just, none of this is bringing back anything to me. And mom used to pray and oh, prophesy over, oh, dear Lord, it was awful. You know, you know what they say, as long as there are tests in school, there will still be prayer. And I used to pray, Jesus, can you help me? And Jesus say, nope. Ain't helping you. But in that time, I would say, oh. Why didn't I study? Why didn't, you know, why did I, why did I just watch TV or read or why did I go out with my friends? Why, why didn't I study? Why didn't I, why, why didn't, why, why did I just let myself be compromised in my, in my, my intellectual ability? Why, why did I do that? What, what's wrong with me? You know, there, there's some, and I would sit there and I'd self-flagellate during the exam. It's, it's amazing though, as soon as I got out of the exam and knew I failed, I'd go home happy as can be. I wonder, will there be a time in my future and in our future lives when we reflect on what might have been when, in our walk with Jesus? Had we been more focused? Had we been more committed? Had we been more concerned with the outcome of what our life was producing? The outcome of what my life was producing? Do I have anything? You see, if you go to uh, 1 Corinthians, what is it, 2, where he talks about wood, hay, and stubble, and he says, you know, the, 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 the incandescent fire of God comes down, and all of the stuff of my life that I presented at the feet of Jesus, it gets burned up, and I'm frantically searching through the ashes of my life, looking for something to lay at the feet of Jesus, is there a diamond? Is there a piece of gold? Is there some precious metal? But there's nothing. Will there be a time when I'll look back and reflect and wish that I'd been more focused? Wish I'd put the safety on. You see, the Christian experience is not punctiliar. It is it is an experience to be lived. It's not a one-time event. It's lived over periods of years, decades, generations. My daddy was a drunk, and he gets saved at his late teens. 
And in the last days of his life, he lifts up his hands and he says, I'm not coming home to home, home on the range. I'm coming home to the hallelujah chorus. I'm still serving Jesus. I'm going out of this life having known that my Redeemer lives and I'm going to serve him. Christian experience is to be lived. You see, sitting in front of that TV with tears in her eyes, reflect on the breakdown of the marriage, the loss of the job, the integrity that was missed, the opportunity squandered, the sense of failure as a result of being caught without our safety on. It's interesting about horses. Horses always seem to hang out on the edge of the pasture right near the fence. It's interesting how some of us want to stay right near the fence. Oh yeah, I'm still in, I'm still in Jesus, but, but boy, oh boy, I'm looking over the fence. Boy, oh boy, I wonder what it would be like to, to sleep with that person. I wonder what it would be like to make a little more money and I'm willing to compromise to get it. I wonder what it would be like if I could just kind of avoid that, that truthful aspect of my life. I wonder what it would be like if, if, I, if I could... If I could manipulate the situation and put myself in charge and, and, kind of, and kind of lead from my own experience. And so we're looking over the fence at something else that could be and we're staying too close to the fence. I was hunting with my, my, my brother-in-law when I was 18 years old. And it was at the end of the hunt and we were walking out of the woods and it was now dark and I was just playing with kind of subconscious, I, 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 you know, there's a difference between being subconscious and unconscious. Maybe I was unconscious, who knows? But I was, I was playing with the trigger and the, and the safety, putting the safety on, pulling the trigger. Of course, nothing happens because the safety's on. But you do that in the wrong order. And so I'm just walking along in kind of my own little world, and all of a sudden, boom! My brother-in-law turns around. When I was able to peel his fingers from around my neck, I came within inches of killing him because I was operating without the safety on. My friend, his name is Sterling Penny. He's an elderly man now. Some of you are thinking, if he's elderly compared to you, he must be old. <laughs> he was a pastor in the province of Newfoundland and Labrador, and that was back when they had a sectarian school system. So there was a government school, there was a Pentecostal school, there was a Catholic school, and there was a, um, usually a Salvation Army school. They're not all in the same villages usually, but quite often there's two or three schools, different schools. And he got asked to speak at the Pentecostal school for their week of prayer, their spiritual emphasis week. Every day there was chapel. There was Christian teachers. It was amazing. These, these kids were exposed to the gospel every day. It only ended in the, in, the, in the 1980s. And it was just amazing. But the problem was, not all the kids were Christians, even though they were Christian school. Even though they had Christian teachers, even though they had prayer in every classroom, even though they, for some reason, whatever the reason, the gospel didn't take. So he's there preaching their spiritual emphasis week, 
and he feels led of the Lord to preach a sermon called, Some of You Aren't Going to Make It. That is not an encouraging sermon. That is just not nice. But that's what the Spirit of God led him to preach. And he preached that day, Some of You Aren't Going to Make It. Some of you are not going to make it. I, 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 I don't know what to say to you, but, but he says, for the souls of you who are going to make it, you're not right with God. You need to get right with God. And literally hundreds of students ran to the front of that auditorium that day, and they repented of their sin, and they cried out to God. And, you know, it was just amazing how God moved, and you'd wonder how anybody could leave that room that day, how they could leave that room that day and still be out of the touch of the presence of God. And yet three days later on a Friday night on a wharf in that, in that out in Newfoundland. Five young people who sat in that very meeting that day were drinking and, and carousing and somehow the car slipped into, into neutral and began to slide off the wharf into the muddy North Atlantic waters and they didn't make it. Running without your safety on, staying too close to the fence. Sometimes we don't make it. Some in this room are too close to the fence. We're making life-altering mistakes. There's compromise. There's little white lies. I was in my office the other day, and I, I do not work with all believers, and yet it's a Christian ministry. And I was sitting beside one of my colleagues, and someone called. And she answered the phone, and she talked to the person, and she was doing very well until she told the person an absolute lie. Friends, I want to tell you something. Lying is still a sin. Maybe that's a surprise. The Scripture actually says all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. I know you're not supposed to say those things. You're not supposed to quote those Scriptures anymore. That's true. Outright disobedience to the known will of God. Putting yourself in a position where it would be easy to fall, fail rather, in your marriage, career, lose the respect of your family and friends, and eventually lose out with God. It's interesting how some people actually believe that you can avoid the consequences, the natural consequences. It's like saying, I'm going to get up on the roof of the church, jump off, and you know what? I'm going to defy gravity. Everybody else who jumps off is going to get injured. I know that, but not Tweety Petey. He's not going to get injured. Yeah, show some respect, will you? It's Sweetie Petey to you. It's amazing to me how many people actually think this doesn't apply to them. It applies to, yeah, oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, look, I mean, look at the light. You know, Sister Gut Rock's over here. I mean, yeah, look at the mess she's in. They desire the benefits of serving God, but stay close to the world and their fleshly desires. <coughs> i got to stop smoking. Okay. Listen to what 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15 says. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. Can I just be honest? I love the world.
I, I love. That's why the scripture says it's the pleasures of sin. You see, if sin wasn't really that pleasurable, who would do it? By the way, most of you wouldn't be here. In fact, I would say probably 90%, maybe 95, 98% wouldn't be here if sex wasn't pleasurable. Boy, you are a religious crowd. Look at you, just looking at me. You don't want to titter at all, do you? No, 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 we don't titter at that kind of stuff. It's true. If, if sex was taking out the garbage, like taking out the garbage, you think you'd be here? Your friend, you take it out. No, you take it out. I took it out last week. No, you take it out. No, I'm not doing that. Forget it. We'll leave it. The garbage man come in and get it. Let's just light a fire in the garbage can and be done with it. Now, I'm not comparing sex with, with sin. I'm just saying that the pleasure of sin is so attractive. It's better to tell a lie than to tell the truth when the lie will, when, when the truth will cost you something, right? I kinda, I'd rather lie. Some of you are really wondering about me, aren't you? Wouldn't it be better to, 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 wouldn't it be better to, to slip a couple hundred bucks of the, of the company deposit into your pocket and say, well, it wasn't there to begin with? Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be easier to, to kind of to, to kind of embellish your resume and submit it to some company and, and hope they never find out that you you actually didn't do a stint on Mars as a child with your parents? You see what I'm saying? It, 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 it's, it's really better to misrepresent myself, or it's really better to, to, to aggrandize myself, or it's really better to put myself in the best possible light, even when it's not the truth. And you know what we find out? We find out that the pleasures of sin are, in fact, sometimes pleasurable. But the Scripture says, we're to love not the world, nor the things of the world. For if you do, the love of the Father is not in you. You see, at work, are we cutting corners on our personal integrity? Are we saying things and making representations to people that are not true just to get the business? Are we in, are we in relationships with people at work with whom we ought not to be in relationship? Or are we in an inappropriate relationship? Is there little words of innuendo and, and kind of stuff going on between me and little hoochie hoochie over here and, and, uh, and she just makes me feel and, then, uh, and by the way, my wife comes in and she tells me to take out the garbage and look after the screaming kids and, and the dog just vomited on the carpet and you know uh, uh, things are going crazy at the house and we haven't had this much fun since the pigs ate, our, ate the baby sister and so we're just really going crazy here at the house and mindly little hoochie hoochie at work she just thinks I'm wonderful. She doesn't notice I've gained 40 pounds. My wife oftentimes says she's not legally married to 75 pounds of me. I don't know what to do. Hoochie hoochie makes me feel good. Hoochie hoochie makes me feel good at work. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And it happens all the time. And it happens to believers. What about at home? Is our passion and our desire to see our children serve Jesus? Oh, I know your kids are talented. I know they are. They're the cutest and they're most talented behind my grandchildren. I mean, I know that. 
And I know that you're all concerned. They make really good marks and they get, you know, they get, they get the, 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 the whatever you get down here in the United States, whatever. It never happened to me. You get all this stuff and, 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 oh, I know what you're concerned about. You're concerned that they get a letter on their jacket. I don't know exactly what that means, but they get all, all American, they get a letter. I usually got a letter at school too. It was to take home to my parents of why I was doing such a bad job. And we get, all, we get all wrapped up in that. Are you, equally, are, you, are you even equally concerned that they serve Jesus? Do you even spend as much time with them? I know you get after them in their homework, and yes, they'll you know, spend three and four hours, but do they spend a few minutes with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? We had some young people who we don't know stay at our home recently, and I asked the 13-year-old, what do you want to do with your life? She looked at me and she said, I want to honor God. I'm thinking, would to God that we would raise children that would say first thing, I don't care if I'm an astronaut or an accountant or, 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 or an acupuncturist or whatever it is. Listen, I want to honor Jesus. But you know what's happening in our homes? We don't know what's going on on the internet and our children's phones. We don't know what's happening with, with, the, with, with, the, with, the, with all the stuff in social media. Listen to me, dads. Take some courage, will you? And get some apps on your phone and follow what your kids are doing. Because the devil would like to ensnare them and enslave them. Listen to me. I know kids in their 11, 12 years old exposed to pornography and cannot get free from it in their 20s and 30s and their marriages suffer and your, your children and your grandchildren will suffer because you didn't take care of business at home. And you ran without the safety on. I want to know if you're more concerned with them being called all for Jesus than all American. In interactions with others, who do, not, we do, who do not share our faith? Do we kind of compromise our faith to accommodate them? In interactions where there's a possibility of flirting or leaving a compromising message, indicating our marriage vows aren't as sacred as we claim them to be, our daily walk with Christ, the Bible sits on the shelf, we only rarely have a conscious sense of God in our daily life. Again, I remind you, it's Jesus in my everything. We attend church as if we're doing God a favor. Listen to me, friends. It's like the guy on the back of the, of the garbage truck. And, 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 and it's coming through the neighborhood. And, and he's at the back of the truck, and the truck moves a little farther ahead. And so the guy has to say, hey, we need you to move. Hey, so what does he do? He gets in the back of the garbage truck, and he goes, mom back, mom back, mom back. Hey, it's time to mom back to Jesus, mom back to the house of God, mom back to the things of God, mom back to the presence of God. Say, Jesus, I need you in my life. We sometimes honor God with our time, our talents, our resources, but only when it's convenient. The safety's not on. Listen to me. If your children wake up on a Sunday morning and have to wonder if they're going to church, there's something wrong. I remember when my, my father and my mother were raising us. We never wondered. In fact, we would go on vacation. My father would have two weeks vacation. We'd go on vacation. He'd get off on Friday night. Isn't that the time to go on vacation? What's wrong with my father? What's the time? No, no, we didn't go on Friday night. We didn't go on Saturday. Why? Because we had church there Sunday. Well, listen, moron, there's other churches. Other... No, no, not dead. He had to be at church because he had responsibilities. We wouldn't go on vacation until Monday. Then we would only be gone for five days because we had to drive back on Friday. Because he had to get ready for Sunday again. Then on Monday, we'd go somewhere else for five days and then back on. Oh, dear Lord, what a.
We never wondered what we were doing on a Sunday. It was so deeply ingrained in our lives. I'm just here to tell you, friends, listen, some of you are running your families with no safety on. You see, we may sing, I was sinking deep in sin. That's why that, that is a hymn, right? It's a hymn. It's, we used to sing these in church. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within. I want to thank the three of you that are joining me. And <laughs> sinking to rise no more. But then the master of the sea heard my despairing cry. From the waters, what did he do? He lifted me. You see, we used to sing out of hymn books. Now we sing off the wall. You know what I'm saying? And, 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 and then the song says, love lifted me. But instead, some people are actually singing, I was sinking deep in sin. We, this is fun. There's no responsibility. I get all the blessings of serving Jesus, but I don't have any of the responsibilities. And I'm telling you, at some point, running with the safety off and running without it on leads to destruction. You see, our lives revealed, exposed for what they really are by our words, our eyes, our thoughts, our motivations, our actions, our attitudes. And by what we guard ourselves against. I can, listen to me, I can tell a lot about your life by what you guard yourself against. Financially, in the home, I can tell a lot about how you look at yourself just by seeing what you, how you protect yourself. It's amazing to me, some of you are more interested in protecting, protecting your financial resources than you are in protecting your spiritual life that will last forever and forever. We are finding that there is no safety on. Our lives are about to be exposed. And the enemy loves to expose us. He loves to humiliate us. He loves to keep us in a position. We violate every principle of God's word and somehow expect to reap the benefits of being a Christ follower. There is not even a hint of Holy Spirit conviction any longer. Listen to me, friends. Daily, I sense God convicting me about things. I invite him. Holy Spirit, come and show me where I'm wrong. And I tell you, he is so faithful. He's like... My wife, he's so faithful to tell me where I'm wrong. And you know what? I need that safety on. What is the safety? Well, for Christ followers, the safety that should be on is a plan of obedience and accountability. Accountability where one understands that they can and will be led astray. You can and will be led astray. Unless there are protocols in place to prevent losing the touch of God on our personal purpose for serving Him. There's got to be a plan to say, I'm not going to fall into adultery. I'm not going to fall into misusing company funds. I'm not going to fall into being uh, uh, unfruitful with my tongue and lying all the time and, and, and just saying things. And, and I, I, I'm, I'm going to protect my mind. I'm going to protect my spirit, man. Many think it can't happen to them. But think of the people who are in high-profile ministries, even in this last 12 months, who've walked away from the things of God. I have a close family relative who just made an announcement, I don't believe anymore. And I tell you, the antecedents of them not believing anymore is not an intellectual thing. It is, in fact, a spiritual thing where they lost out with God first, and they didn't have their safety on, and they fell into sin. And the falling into sin led them to choose not to believe. 
What does Paul say? He says, I strike a blow to my body and I make it a slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Paul, the Apostle Paul was saying, there's a possibility I could fall away. Then he goes on to say, listen to what it says, it will appear on the screen, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person, but watch yourselves, watch yourselves, watch yourselves, have your safety on, or you also may be tempted. Watch your life and doctrine closely, Paul says, persevere in them. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Do you realize that you can actually preach and not apply? He says, watch your life and your doctrine. Watch what you believe and watch how you live. John says, watch out that you do not lose what you've worked for, but that you may be re- so that you may be rewarded fully. Some and possibly many today in this room are running without the safety on. Some know that they are without a safety and some don't even know there is a safety. Some are aware that their safety is off but they don't do anything about it believing that they are invincible and nothing can happen to them. But I remind you of David, the great man of God, the man after God's own heart, the man who who first started with with an eye problem. He was watching a live porn show. A few rooftops over. And he sends for Bathsheba. Commits adultery with her. She ends up pregnant. He has to murder Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. The great David. If he can fall, Jaudry can fall. Many like Samson, he wakes up from his sleep and he thinks, I'll go out as before and I'll shake myself free. But he doesn't know that the Spirit of God has left him. My question to you, are you sure that the Spirit of God is still with you? I know we're not supposed to talk this way in the the 21st century church. We're supposed to be all victory and joy and singing and shouting and, and it's no matter what I've done, Jesus is going to fight for me. And sometimes we don't even know that the Spirit of God has left us. Hmm. But the triumph of Samson's life was that God was still merciful to him. It says here, then the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and took him to Gaza. And they bound him with bronze shackles, and they set him to grinding grain in prison. So he had to be like one of those mules or those horses that pushed the grinder around, and he had to do that manually in prison. This man who was so strong, this man who was so well-known, this man who was such, a, such a, a hero to his people in so many ways, and yet he had so many personal faults and failures, and, and as a result ends up pushing the grinder and grinding in prison. But listen to what it says, and this should be an encouragement to several men here. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Oh, brother. Come on, somebody. That could be a word for you. Amen. (laughs) Amen. Oh, baby. It says in the book of Leviticus, if a man is bald, he's still clean. It does indeed. 
and his hair began to grow again. God's merciful. God is so merciful. I'm praying figuratively, those of you who've been running without the safety on, you've been like the horses still close to the fence and looking over into the world, wondering if you're going to make it like my friend preached to the high school students at the Pentecostal school in Newfoundland. I'm praying your hair begins to grow again. Because it was the secret of his Nazarite vow that when his hair grew, his strength returned. And the scripture says that Samson killed more people in his death than he ever could have in his life and thus protected the nation of Israel and his destiny was restored. I'm here to tell you that in, in God's grace, he can restore your destiny. Are you listening to me? He can restore your destiny. Prophet Joel put it this way, he can restore the years the locusts have eaten. He can, he can restore your destiny. Yeah, you've made some mistakes. Yeah, there's been some, there's been some infidelities or there's been some, some compromise or there's been some things that have gone on that you wish you never. And yes, some, some bitter tears have streamed down your cheeks. And yes, there's been all of that. But I'm here to tell you that he's going to let your hair grow again. The safety's going to come back on. Your destiny is going to come back. Jesus will make himself Lord again. You can, you can do things you've never done before. I don't care if you're 8 or 80. He'll come one more time. He's so faithful I'm just here to tell you that your destiny can be restored I need to tell you eight quick things that was the introduction to the message now eight quick things how to get to there again. Number one, if you're smart, you'll take notes. Number one, admit that you're off course. Some of you won't admit it, and that's why you're going to stay there. Admit that you're off course. Admit it to your spouse. Admit it to your pastor. Admit it to somebody. Admit it to yourself. You're off course. Number two, seek and find trustworthy people, enlisting them to help. This thing is not meant to be lived alone. I need others around me. Number three, together develop a plan for accountability. I need you to call me every week. I need, you to, I, need you, I need to have an appointment with you. I need, to, I need you to interact with me and me with you, and, and we need to grow together. Number four, announce your plan. Listen, if I want to fast, the only, thing, the only way I can, I'm any, at all successful in fasting is that I announce that I'm going to fast. Somebody said, well, that's not the Bible. Says. The Bible says don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That's about church administration. That's not about... That was a joke. Okay, so that's about church administration. That's not about fasting. Number five, ask for and seek regular feedback. Hey, how am I doing? Have you seen any areas of weakness or lack of integrity in my life? Number six, in humility, receive the correction from God and others. Reject hubris. Reject pride. Reject the thing that says, I'm all right, and you've got to leave me alone. Number seven, never let up and keep going. Do you know this is spiritual warfare, what you're in? The devil wants to destroy you. Jesus wants to give you victory. And number eight, tell others about it. What did, what did, what did David say after he, had, after he had sinned? And after he calls out to God and asks for forgiveness, he says, then will I teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted unto you. What does he do? He begins to teach out of his brokenness and out of his woundedness and out of his hurt having lost the child that was conceived in Bathsheba, 
The scripture says he went from the place where they announced the child's death and he goes into the, he goes into the, to the temple and he worships. He goes into the house of God and he worships. The safety was coming back. God is allowing him to experience some of the greatness he had missed before. In Samson's life, he was more effective in death than he was in his whole previous life. So what's the safety? The safety is us knowing that our safety is still on and we have a plan to keep ourselves away from sin and sin away from us. I am so aware when I preach like this it is not with me just hammering you because I have scenes in my own mind of times I failed so miserably so horribly I've hurt my wife. I've hurt my children. You say, well, weren't you always a preacher? Yeah. But sometimes safety wasn't on. And you're wondering, you know, what, what it is, what deep, dark thing I've done. Keep wondering. When I've been preaching... And again, even when I've been preaching, I'd be preaching and sometimes several times a week and, 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 and the enemy would just come and just hammer me. You know what? If the safety had been on, he'd never be able to hammer me because I've been living a pure life, a God-honoring life where I didn't lose integrity, where I didn't feel like I had to win every argument, where I didn't feel like I had to put somebody else down to build myself up and on and on and on. Listen to me, friends. If God is going to come and do what I feel like the Spirit of God is wanting to do in this body of believers, I remind you that bodies of believers are made up of individual believers. And if He's going to do what He's going to do in your family, and if He's going to do what He's going to do in this community, if He's going to do what He's going to do in your workplace, if He's going to do what He's going to do in this whole region, then I say to you, and if you're going to be that church, and if you're going to be that one, then I say to you as a child of God, don't just say, oh, well, this is somebody else, and this message has to be for that person or this person. No, this is me. It's me, oh, Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's not my brother. It's not my sister. It's me, Lord. me, Lord. It's me, Lord. So my question is, my friends come, how many of you would say, it's me, Lord. It's me, Lord. It's me, Lord, standing in the need of prayer. I know you're I know Pastor Keith is a great preacher and he says nice stuff. How many of you will raise your hands with mine and say, it's me, Lord. It's me, Lord. 
It's me standing in the need of prayer. It's me. I mean, look heavenward and say, Lord, it's me. Will you move by your spirit in my life? I don't know what happened to my rest of my friends, but this may be indicative of something. I said, my friends are coming and no one shows. It's me, Lord. Spirit of the living God. Fall on this place, I pray. Convict husbands, convict wives. I pray in the name of Jesus. I want to say one more thing. Sometimes I'm pretty hard on the men. Just look at me for a second, ladies in particular. I'm pretty hard on the men. I'm a man. I deal with, like every other man, sexual temptations, and I can be flattered by hoochie-hoochie at work, too. I love it when they say I'm tall. I only hire people that are shorter than I. Usually they're about 11 years old. But you ladies... You know, we can talk about men watching porn. And we can. But you ladies watch Hallmark. Ah, you think I'm joking. You think I'm joking. It's a form of emotional porn. You know? See that guy on there? I don't know what they do with the audio on Hallmark, but the, the voices all sound like this. None of them are shrill like this. And the women all say, oh, that guy's so dreamy. Oh, oh, if I could just lay my head on those pecs. emotional porn. And just like we tell the men, the girls you see on the screen, they aren't really real. I mean, they're really real, but that's not necessarily how things work out. Can I tell you that Peck Boy there, who always seems to be the one that's cleaning the pool, He's not like that either. I know some of you think, well, it's just, you know, it's just a show. Listen, ladies, what you need to do, you need to, I'm getting ready to go. You need to turn off Hallmark Channel. And I realize that there are people here who are not married, and I don't mean to be unduly graphic, but the stuff that they hear everywhere else, they mostly hear the truth here. 
You need to turn off the Hallmark Channel and go make love to your husband. I didn't really expect a whole lot of amens for that. <laughs> but I did kind of think a couple men might say something. <laughs> and I know that some of you are wondering what an old geezer like I would even know about stuff like that. Well, there's another old hymn called Precious Memories. <laughs> One of my daughters called me the other day. She's a nurse and she's... As a result, she'll say anything. She calls up, my wife and I are in bed together, and we turn on, you know, turn on this, what do you call that, the, the inst whatever. Her, anyway, her face appears on my phone, whatever you call that. Hi, you two making love? I just clicked her off. And I said, honey, I have an idea. And we said, no, and if we were, we wouldn't be talking to you. <laughs> the most sacred thing you have. Johnny Cash used to sing it, let the circle not be broken. Put an emphasis on each other and keep your safety on me. Keep your safety on me. Young people, you're not married, or people that are unmarried, keep your safety on. Don't sell out. The presence of Jesus is here. He's calling you to repentance. He's calling you to put the safety back on. He's calling you to put guards around your life. He's calling you to get away from the fence. He's calling you and he's saying, listen, don't be one of the ones who's not going to make it. In the mighty name of Jesus, I declare that the enemy's lies will be exposed to you now and you'll begin to see that you've lived under the cloud of a fraud. And in Jesus' name, let there be liberty in this house so that you can come to a place where you can be free. My colleagues are going to begin to sing that song we sang earlier. I'm inviting you to come. If you have to have lines or go up the aisle, I'm just inviting you to step out, do something, make the announcement. I am putting the safety on in my life. In the mighty name of Jesus.